If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. Yo, yo, welcome back. Episode number 145 of the hashtag This Numbers Podcast. Make sure you check out last week's one. It's actually pretty important. It gives you a better background to the coronavirus outbreak. So I look at the Chinese wet markets, which many scientists and people believe is the origin of the coronavirus. Um, whether we should ban these wet markets or not. Um, how China actually responded to the initial cases and whether there was a cover-up or not. And then looking at the time of the events that led to the coronavirus, like basically hitting the streets. And I also spoke on the magic money tree because a lot of people are debating whether or not Corbyn got unrightful stick with regards to his spending plans because we've seen um, Rishi Sunak and uh, Boris Corona Johnson um, bail out packages and plans to help the British people and businesses get through this tough time. So I explained why it's not the same as Corbyn's expansionary public spending plan. I explained the difference between public spending and borrowing for public spending and different ways you could borrow and how Corbyn planned to finance his spending compared to how the government are financing his spending and the different pitfalls and and outcomes of these things. So make sure you check that out. Gives you some information that you may not have been privy to prior. So go check that one out. Of course, we're going to talk about the NHS and comparative and no different systems that you can compare it to across the world, um, giving people information because I think too many of us assume that the NHS style system and the private healthcare system are the only two types. It's a lot more detailed and um, varied than that. But of course, first have to hit the streets of coronavirus update because that's basically taking over our lives. As you don't know, we are in lockdown. So on Monday, whatever the date was, I can't remember, the government gave, Boris Johnson gave a speech regarding the lockdown rules. As you should know by now, you can only leave your house for essential food and medical supplies. You can only leave your house also for medical reasons to tend or care for somebody. Um, also, if you have um, split parent responsibilities, obviously if your child lives out in one home and your co-parent lives in a different home, obviously you can navigate that. You could go to the park for exercise one, once a day with one member of your household. You could go for walks and runs. Um, you, obviously, you can leave to and from work, but the government basically said, please, unless you can work from home, just stay at home, basically. Gathering of more than two people in public spaces is forbidden and will be dispersed by police. All shops selling non-essential goods, including clothing and electronics, will be shut. That, <coughs> excuse me. That's <coughs> goddamn. That's why you see basically every store, apart from things that stores that serve food are closed. Uh, fines will be employed if you don't comply. So I think the fines are like thirty pounds. Um, they're going to revise this in three weeks, and there may be a possible relaxation if the rules, if um, things improve. 
So that was one of the initial updates. On the 25th of March, reiterate the NHS has um, limited resources, so please keep your blood clots indoors. The country's coping well. The antibody test that should tell us if you've ever had corona is quite close. So the government are quite hopeful on that being able to hit the streets in a short period of time. The government don't know how many people have, have corona. Oxford University studies suggest up to 50% of UK population may have been exposed. And UK te- UK-wide testing should hit a quarter million per day soon. That's the government's um, projections and hopes. And on the 26th of March, another update. This was basically what the government are doing for the self-employed mafia. Grant for self-employed um, people worth up to 80% of your average monthly profits, up to 2500 so similar in line to the, the job retention plan. Number of COVID-19 deaths um, went more than 100 for the first time that day and they've been rising day to day. I'm recording this on Sunday, so it's been going up, unfortunately. 50% of your income needs to have come within from self-appointment as registered in the 18 to 19 tax return filed in Jan. And if you've missed this deadline, you've got four weeks from now to quickly get it out if you want to be able to take part in a scheme. Scheme is upon those who under 50, 50k per year so that's two-thirds i mean three quarters of self-employed people so this does help out the vast majority of people you can continue to work as well as you receive support so it's looking nice for you money touches your account from june so the hmrc are working very hard to get these get these um payments out from june the grants of course are taxable this doesn't cover those who are newly self-employed unfortunately and rishi Sunak did um, hint that this is likely to end the national insurance and tax advantages for self-employed people once this is over. This isn't policy yet, but he's hinting at it and it's probably fair because we've been living life too long. Also, the most recent government update on the 27th of March is that UK infections are doubling every three or four days. So this is very bad. We're starting to see very uh, loads of high-profile people get um, coronavirus from... Um, Prince Charles to Boris Johnson himself to the health sec um, New York Knicks owner um, James Dolan's got it like it's just hitting all types of people 2,000 plus corona pati- coronavirus patients in hospital as of today according to government numbers 33,000 beds are available to treat further coronavirus patients as of now which is clearly not enough when you think about how many people can be potentially infected they're building a new hospital across the country. There's one they're doing in Excel that should be able to hold at 500 ICU beds. 18,000 doctors and nurses have returned to practice in the last two weeks. Of course, they're reaffirming stay in your house. They are focusing on patients with acute respiratory dis- distress syndromes. This is when it's very dangerous and it could lead to fatalities. By next week, so the week you're listening to this podcast in, the number of tests will have doubled, which is good, but it's not good enough. Staff testing will be rolled out across the NHS from next week. Testing will eventually be extended to essential workers. New London Hospital will have 500 ICU beds, as I mentioned earlier. This can go up to 4,000 if required. And there's 3,000 empty available beds currently in London today. So it shows how important it is for us to stay in our homes. And I've started to see people that I know of personally who have lost family members to this, so it's not a joke. So those are the recent updates. Now time for the topic at hand. So I've so there was a clap for the NHS thing. I can't remember what day it was. Maybe it was Thursday or Wednesday. But I think it was Wednesday. And I thought, 
I'm that type of person that I just don't do empty gestures. I just feel like it's just weird and a bit of virtual signaling. Obviously, some people thought it was nice. Some people, some healthcare professionals loved it. Some healthcare professionals thought it was a slap in the face. That just depends on your perspective of life. But I personally, I'm not a big fan of empty gestures without changed behaviour. And I said, yeah, everybody wants these people to get paid more. And we're talking about healthcare professionals. So from your physicians um, to your nurses, etc. But the reality is, whether people like it or not, with the current system being the National Health Service, a single-payer universal system funded by public spending, that's not going to change significantly. Has the NHS been underfunded in recent years under conservative rule? Absolutely. If there was a Labour government or a Liberal Democrat government or something, would it be more funded? Very, very highly likely, almost guaranteed. Does that still mean that the system will be in a better, in a good shape and a better and a significantly better enough shape to cope with what's happening now? No, not at all. And I'm going to explain why when I start going through all the different systems. So I put out a, tweet, a couple of tweets like NHS needs to go if we want our staff, our health workers to be paid more. And then people were like, oh my God, how can you have this take? Do people think saying you're, if you're anti the NHS in its current iteration, do people think that means you're pro private healthcare? Because that's just ignorant. And I believe that many of us, unfortunately, this is going to sound rude, but many of us are very ignorant when it comes to the different levels of healthcare systems. It's not one or the other. It's not either you have a single... Um, single provider that's primarily and significantly function, um, funded by taxpayer money and the only opposite is a crazily expensive private healthcare system at the United States. No, there's so many different ways that you can create a healthcare system and there's no coincidence that the newer countries, I'm talking your Singapore, your Singapore's, your Singapore's and your United Arab Emirates have chosen not to implement the national healthcare system because it's just not good in comparison to other systems. So when you see me talk about NHS, it's not an attack on the work of the people who work there. It's not not wanting people to get good quality and inexpensive healthcare. It's against the system because I've actually looked at the system and I've actually spoken to many people who work in it Obviously, not everybody has the same views, but I tend to speak to people that are actually quite bright and have a holistic view and look at things macroly rather than just purely philosophically. And I've actually looked at other systems and it's like almost the same amount of public money is going into it, but you're getting way different results. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through, I picked six um, healthcare systems Help six different countries with relatively different healthcare systems. Some are quite similar in regards. And I picked these um, ones specifically because they have similarities to the UK in terms of culture and size. So I couldn't really pick Denmark, Sweden, Finland because those countries have the population of London and below. Doesn't make sense. And when you have like a homogenous group of people who are all earning quite well, you can make certain taxation decisions. It doesn't really work the same if you've got way more people who are not homogenous at all. So I'm going to look at six countries, look at their healthcare systems, talk about how they're funded, how it's implemented, um, how good they are, how the, the people feel about it, 
then I'm also going to look at, to conclude, I'm going to now look at quality. So often when people talk about quality and shout out my boy, Dr. Lee, he's helped me a lot, helped me a lot of this and I always ask some questions. Um, quality people tend to use, you might see stuff like infant mortality, um, life expectancy. That's not really specific to the healthcare system. Of course, it has significance. But when you talk quality, you have to look at how good the healthcare system is itself. You can't just look at the overall macro results because there's several um, exogenous factors that go into that, as I said before. So you want to look at time to see a specialist, time to treatment. The average person with the average amount who has a better chance of getting treated better, um, seen quicker, all that stuff. That's what you look about when you look in terms of quality. But okay, let's start off with the National Health Service because that's what the NHS, because that's where we currently reside while the majority of my listeners them. Yeah, okay, cool. So the NHS is a, is a single-payer system. So there's one body is paying into the system. It's the second largest single-payer system in the world behind the Brazilian one. It's actually provided by the government. So one of some of the false... Um, some of the false narratives out there that a lot of the countries um, healthcare service I'm going to discuss about. So let's say you talk about your South Koreas or your Canadas or your France, is that is is a complete social healthcare system? No, it may be publicly funded, but it's privately delivered. So it's not the same as the UK. The UK is publicly tends to be publicly funded and publicly delivered. The, uni, the UK has universality. Everybody. Everybody but visitors and, and illegal um, migrants can access um, the services. However, even um, illegal migrants, Im illegal immigrants and visitors can access um, NHS services in cases of emergency. So if you get shot, like you're able to be seen by a doctor, of course. The NHS covers almost everything. And there is co-pays in the NHS. And when I said that we should in implement more co-pays, people were talking to me like I was crazy. Oh my God, people can't afford it. I'm like, what, a little 10, 15 pound here? And you subsidise it if people can't afford it. People are like, no, because that will make people stop going to health. We have co-pays already. We have co-pays in terms of dentistry and outpatient um, prescription drugs. However, Outpatient prescription drugs are heavily uh, subsidised. So if you're under 16, you don't pay. If you're 16 to 18 years old and you're still in school, you don't pay. If you're over 60, you don't pay. If you're pregnant, you don't pay. If you've had a baby in the last year, you don't pay. If you've got chronic illness, you don't pay. 6% of prescription drugs are actually paid in full um, by the by the user. So most of, most of the time it's not. So we do have some copay in the in our, our healthcare service. More than 75%, and this number is very key because you're going to see similar numbers across the systems, um, almost 75% of healthcare spending is public is by public expenditure. 10 to 11% um, of us have private um, supplementary insurances. These obviously tend to be provided by companies as well if you jump on schemes. Most GPs, no, most specialists and general practitioners, GPs, are salaried by the NHS. And this is on a different from country to country. So what are some of the downsides that um, that many people who look at these things or, that, or have common sense see the NHS? Some drugs simply just aren't available. The technology compared to other OECD um, um, peers are, is lacking. Hospital, hospital beds is very low. So for example, let me get the, let me get the picture up. Um, with coronavirus, it's really highlighted this. 
that if you look at the countries with the most critical care beds per capita, United States, so this is per 100,000 inhabitants, United States have 34.7. This is all per 100,000. So 35 beds for United for the USA, 29 for Germany, 10, um, 13 for Italy. Italy is currently getting hammered by the coronavirus, by the way. Hammered. 12 for France, 11 for South Korea, 8 for Spain, 8. Um, Spain's also getting hammered as well. Seven for Japan and just under seven for the United Kingdom. So there's several countries with more bears on us and they get absolutely whacked senseless by um, COVID-19. So this is why many people are worrying and, we're so, and the government had to take that lockdown issue. Maybe um, they should have done it sooner because UK simply do not have the resources to deal with such things. Also, as I said, hospital beds are low. Um, Hospitals also aren't geared towards comfort. They can be overcrowded. So it's just about trying to get as many people in as possible. The NHS is obviously criminally understaffed. The staff are overworked and relatively underpaid. There's longer waiting times. And when you look at metrics in terms of quality, it often lags behind the OECD averages. So that's the NHS, yeah? Cool. Let's talk about, first, let's talk about Australia. Australian healthcare is delivered by both the government and the private sector. They have a thing called Medicare, and you're going to hear Medicare quite often because these countries aren't very um, creative with the names of their healthcare provision. The Australian healthcare system is largely government-funded, as well as the as well as having a private health insurance to supplement. The costs are also the the costs are also borne by non-profit organisations, which is very important. Non-profit organisations. The money that's going to get taken out is always the profit that they make is reinvested back into to providing a good healthcare service. Carers, citizens, permanent residents, uh, and temporary visas have access to um, this Australian healthcare. Visiting students and asylum seekers while they're waiting for the decision also have access to this as well. The tax system incentivizes some families to purchase private health um, insurance as it provides some things that are simply not on Medicare. So what's provided for Medicare? So you get free inpatient care, free access to most medical services and, predict and prescription drugs. And quickly, inpatient is somebody who is admitted to a hospital to stay overnight and outpatient is anything that doesn't require hospitalization. So if you hear those terms, that's what they mean. So yeah, Medicare, free inpatient care, free access to most medical services and prescription drugs. Medicare pays for 85 to 100% of all outpatient services. And it also pays for 75% of medical fees for private, um, for private patients that use public hospitals. So if you're a private patient that uses a public hospital, you get Medicare will pattern you for 75%, the rest you have to pattern yourself. Doctors can charge whatever they damn well, please. That's why doctors in Australia, they eat good. H however... There's incentives in place to make bulk billing more likely for the elderly, the poor, and children. And also, these people get discounted discount on drugs. Also, in Australia, they have a they have a lot of performance. Um, their pay is also based on performance, so it, it really incentivizes doctors to provide a good quality service. Also, if you look at the co-pays, so co-pays is like when you actually have to pay out of your pocket um, outside of you funding whatever healthcare system you're in. Once you hit a certain barrier, so in so this is um of as of 2015, so obviously these numbers probably have increased slightly since this period of time. Once you hit 427, 422 
Australian dollars in terms of Medica- uh, Medicare will cover the 100% of any fees scheduled for the rest of the year. So let's say it's by August, you've already paid 422 Australian dollars worth of of copay fees. For the rest of the year, Medicare's got you patterned. But this is up to 1,221.98 US dollars. And then the eight, for the rest of the year, 80% of all out of um, pocket cash is covered by Medicare. And if you're in one of those groups I mentioned earlier, this number is brought down to 621. So you don't pay that much out of your own pocket. And those who can't pay as much are, are backed by the government. Families can pull together their spending so they hit these uh, barriers faster. So let's say there's a, there's a wife and a, your wife and your son, they both need medical care, unfortunately. You can pull together their copay fees and then you hit that barrier where your Medi- Medicare comes into action to cover your fees. 69% um, is from the government. In terms of um, the spending, the healthcare spending, 69% is funded by the government and 18% is funded by copays. So copays bring a massive um, windfall in terms of healthcare spending. One in two Australians have private health insurance. And if you get it before 30, um, 31 years old, it's actually cheaper. And for every year after 30, it goes up by a certain percentage. So it's really incentivizing you to get this while you're young and then all that good stuff. Most doctors in Australia are self-employed. They have a pay-by-performance system. And all types of hospitals, long-term care tends to be provided by families because of the way the system is. Some of the issues with the Australian system, it can lead to longer waiting times. And there can be some variance in quality, obviously due to private and, and standard care insurances. So that's Australia. Now let's look at Germany. So Germany have been lauded for their low number of mortalities with regards to COVID-19 cases. Some people are accusing them of being um, tricky or smart or slick, shall I say, with how they um, record the data, but that's a story for another day. So Germany is a universal multi-payer system, whereas the UK is a universal system, so it's accessibility for all, but it's funded by one person or one provider. Germany is universal access for everybody, but it's a multi-payer system. They have two types of health insurances, statutory health insurance and private health insurance. So when I talk about statutory health insurance, that's the one that's provided by the government and private health insurance provided by private companies. Um, healthcare in, Health insurance is mandatory, so everybody has to have it. It's not like the US, US, which we'll talk about last, where some people don't have it. Everybody has to have it, yeah? Private health insurance company, private health insurance companies are non-profit, so the money that they make is reinvested back into back into the service. Whereas, obviously, in other countries, they have um, some profit organisations. So, if you hear me say PHI or SHI, SHI is the government statutory one. PHI is a private one. Yeah. So they have over one hundred and thirty and counting different private health insurance companies so that provides a lot of competition a lot of choice for the consumer private health insurance has some coverage that the s the so um, statutory health insurance doesn't but in most cases it's minor private um 
um, health insurance covers, co-pays for other services, as well as access to better um, amenities. 86% of Germans have statutory health insurance, whereas 11% of Germans have private health insurance. Statutory health insurance covers almost everything, including mental health, um, hospices, um, eye care, dentistry. So it's quite broad. How do you qualify for this? Well, if you're earning around 53,000 euros and below, you and your dependents, your family members, are covered by statutory health insurance. If you earn more or you're self-employed, you can choose to jump on this. And three quarters of Germans still choose to get their statutory health insurance. And this is because Germany does a very good job in making sure that the difference between the private health insurance and the statutory health insurance doesn't differ significantly in quality. So, in terms of the co-pays, so remember, I was talking about at the top of the podcast where I believe people should pay a certain amount if they go to hospital or that type of stuff. In Germany, what are the co-pays? Five to ten euros for a prescription. 10 euros per day for hospitalizations and 5 to 10 euros for medical aids. And remember, if you're on private health insurance, that patterns some of your copays. There's also a cap on copays, similar to Australia, where there's a cap on the amount of you could pay a year. This one is in terms of percentage. So the cap is 2% of your total household income or 1% if you have a chronic illness. So let's say we get a family of a family of three. Um, a husband, a wife, and a son. The husband earns 35 grand a year. The wife earns 35 grand a year. Their household income is 70 grand a year. The maximum that they can spend in terms of co-pays in a year is £1,400, which is very reasonable when you're talking about your health. And more often than not, in most cases, you're patterned. So you're not coming out of particular um, pocket because you can afford to pay £1,400 between both of you across a year. Maximum. And that's the max as well. 72% of healthcare spending is is public expenditure. Remember, I said around 75% or was it 77% of the UK spending was um, public health. So we're spending publicly rough, not too dissimilar the same amount of money, but as I speak, listen to the difference in quality and access. Um, statutory healthcare is 50, takes off 57% of the spending. Employees and pensioners pay 8.2% of their wages towards this, up to €47,000. Wages above that are exempt. Employers pay a 7.3% tax to contribute towards this as well. And this is spread across all the different non-profit statutory health insurance funds in the economy. Half of the private health insurances are non-profit. They're more tightly regulated. Um, employers contribute as well and um, employees also contribute but the contributions you'll make as an employee to a private health um, insurance um, fund will be more than if you're a statutory one of course doctors they belong to regional association boards and they negotiate their contracts with different funds whereas in in our uh, country doctors are salaried by the nhs here whatever region, let's say you're in region A, you negotiate your contracts with all the funds. Okay, cool. This is what we're, we're, we're trying to do for our association. Patients can choose whoever they like. It's not like here where you have to go to get permission from somebody to go see a specialist or something like that. You could just bypass that if you want to. They do try to put in certain gatekeeping um, me, um, metri- um, guidelines and barriers just to make the process more efficient and then you do benefit 
um, in terms of maybe get like a little discount and stuff. But most Germans don't really care. It's not worth it. They'll just rather bypass it because you can get such great access. When it comes to um, doctors, there's a maximum number of patients and treatments for doctors in a, um, in a year. So if they go beyond this, they may not they might not get pay, might not get paid. So this is trying to keep it as as efficient as possible and to keep the quality high, so doctors aren't being overstretched and overworked. More than half hospital beds in Germany are non-profit, and almost a third of the are private non-profit beds as well. Three quarters of Germans can get seen either the same day or the by latest the next day by a doctor. Let me repeat this again. Three quarters, 75%, at least three quarters of Germans can get seen by a doctor within a day. Compare that to here. Bearing in mind, they're roughly spending similar amounts as us, but they can get seen like that. And my boy, Dr. Lee, gave me a great example. If you've got a knee, if you've got, say you've, got, um, you've done your knees, if you go to the NHS, boom, 12 weeks worth of physio. Boom. Take these, okay, cool, that's done, still got a problem. Okay, cool, take these injections, da, 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 da. And maybe after that, you go and get a surgery that you probably, it was probably obvious that you needed straight away. Germany, boom, you make a phone call, within a day or two, you've, within a day, you've seen somebody, and then boom, okay, cool, you're getting, you're getting surgery. It's just about a matter of when. What are some of the downsides of the German system? Doctors are so spread out, there can be some sort of gaps in terms of patient knowledge, so then they they spend inefficient amount of time trying to get to know their patients and their medical history because of the gaps in knowledge. Also, self-employed people end up paying more slightly. However, as I said before, the German government makes sure they do their utmost to keep the quality close between statutory health insurance and private health insurance, and they do a very, very good job of it. And because of the way the German system is set up, they rival England... In um, the UK, sorry, in terms of the lowest barrier to care due to cost, but it absolutely murders the UK in quality. So people, so people complain about, oh yeah, you don't want, we don't want to disincentivize people getting seen to. No, it is people get seen to as easily and as cheaply in um, in the UK as they kind of Germany, but they absolutely annihilate us in quality. So why do we have the same system that we have? It don't make sense. Okay, let's go on to Canada. Canada is, again, another country that's publicly funded. They have another system called Medicare. It's universal. 70% of the coverage is by Medicare and 30% of the coverage is private um, health insurance. Most cares is covered with no out-of-pocket spending. However, prescriptions, prescription drugs, eye care, dental care are not covered in Medicare. Most Canadians buy supplementary private healthcare um, and they get this access via their jobs. And those supplementary um, private healthcare covers the things I just mentioned. So it covers the prescription drugs, the eye dental care. Again, with Canada, they have public spending but private delivery. Most family physicians are private and they operate on fees for services. Canadian doctors chop, chop, big, big guala. So again, these are this is another system where, yeah, the public is spending money, but it's also getting supplemented from the private sector where people are being paid 
um, people pay for this via their um, workplaces and the medical staff earn more but the issue here is that they have obviously issues with waiting times naturally due to the nature of the system being very very universal like this and mainly provided by one body but we're going to talk about waiting times and that type of stuff a bit later now the united states of america most of the care is provided privately so very different to the united to the united kingdom to canada to germany mostly it's provided privately 70% of hospitals are though non-profit, so some may be shocked to hear that. The issue is with them is that as of 2018, at least 28 million non-elderly people don't have any health insurance. That's 8.5% of the US population. And that means if they have any medical issues, they have to pay everything from their own pocket. And we have heard a horror stories about how expensive US healthcare is. Now, 60% get their health insurance from their employers. And this includes preventative care, um, sick days, and all that type of stuff. Plans vary on how much out-of-pocket payments you make. So depending on the plan, you might make a different level of um, out-of-pocket payments. 15% of people are on Medicare, and most of those people are the elderly. And Medicare is pretty complex compared to the other systems we spoke about. There's different... There's four different parts of Medicare. So part A is uh, covers you being hospitalised. It's pretty much free for anybody over the age of 65. Almost everybody can get it. Whereas part B covers outpatient services. Sometimes they differ They differ by the, getting insurance from work. Some, now some people defer theirs, this, because they got insurance from work, sorry. They're low deductibles. You've got co-insurance of 20%, and but it does cover quite a lot of stuff. There's a thing called Medigap services that covers all your co-pays. There's Medicare Part C, which is also known as Medicare Advantage. Private companies um, providing Medicare-like health, but just a better version. And there's also Medicare Part D, which cover which has covers prescriptive drug plans and designed privately, but also but it's approved uh, federally, so it's approved by the government. There's a thing called Medicaid, which is really sad. So this is where it's meant to be state-based and provides medical coverage for those who can't afford it. And obviously this differs between all the 50-plus states in America. They use a poverty guideline. So it has to be like one... You have to be 130-something percent of the poverty line or something crazy like that. But it, the bar is so low that it's ridiculous. So a single parent earning minimum wage is above the line you need to be on Medicaid. That's why so many Americans don't have medical insurance. In most states, even the poorest adults with no kids still can't get Medicare. And the mad thing about America is that this system is mad inefficient. Because remember, I said two, remember I said two thirds of, of, um, of health, um, of healthcare is provided by the private health, private health industry. However, the private health industry only accounts for one third of the spending. The government takes up the remaining two thirds. So the government is footing two thirds of the bill, even though they only pay it, or even though they only provide a one third of the healthcare, which makes no sense. No sense. Now, to conclude, let's look at France. France, of course, also has a universal healthcare system. Okay, let me just quickly make a quick um, assertion. 
USA is not a universal healthcare system. I'm not sure why I didn't make that clear enough, but cool. So France has a universal healthcare system. It's largely funded by national health insurance. Most physicians are, are from private practices. So again, it's not a social healthcare system. The delivery is done privately. But most of these um, physicians draw their income from the public insurance fund. Government takes control of the financial and operational management of the health insurance fund, so they're very hands-on. Everyone in France must pay for mandatory health insurance. Everybody, yeah? And the insurance is obtained from non-profit funds, and there's five of them. One is the general one, which, is, which takes 85% of, of people. There's the agricultural fund, there's a student fund, there's the independent fund, there's a public services fund. These, by and largely, are very much similar. So there's not much difference in them. If you have never worked or you aren't covered by these um, sources, the government um, can pattern you when they do this via um, receiving money from taxation. Whatever you, whatever you can't make out of pocket, they'll, they'll help you with. So when you look at the, um, the public spending, 40% of it is financed by the payroll taxes. Another third is financed by income taxes. And another third, the final third, is financed by tobacco or, and this is approximately a third, sorry, tobacco and alcohol taxes and transfer from other branches of social security. So they fund these by the employers paying into it, us as employees paying into it by income tax, and also taking tax from things that actually drain into the economy, such as tobacco and alcohol. So France are really quite militant with their healthcare system. Three quarters of, of their healthcare spending is public. So again, similar to the UK, similar to Germany. Insurance covers almost everything. They have probably the wide... Their insurance, um, their insurance model probably has the widest out of all the main countries. Widest coverage. It covers almost everything. So all the things I mentioned before, now think of house visits, childcare. They have a sick maternity package as well. So there, what plants... France's health insurance is very, very detailed and deep. And these insurance covers 70 to 80% of the costs. And again, the rest, co-pays. There are also private health insurances. And 90% of French people have these. And this is mostly for their jobs. And those help deal with the co-pays. 70% of primary care physicians... And are self-employed. That shows that, again, public funding, private delivery. Two-thirds of hospital beds are public or non-profit. Doctors here make much less than in other, let's say if you look at Canada or Australia. However, their medical school is free. And listen to the co-pays and how cheap these are. One euro or less per hospital visit. 18 euros a day for you being in the hospital. And this is just to cover the beds and the like food and stuff. Half a euro of prescription drugs. And the cap for the copays are 50 euros a year. Also, copays are regulated by sickness. So the more sick you are, your copays will get waived. And also, France guarantees that any cancer patient could get access to any sort of um, drug or treatment they want. France, when you look at the metrics in terms of quality, 
they tend to absolutely batter it. They're always in the top. They are relatively expensive if you look compared to like the UK or something like that, but the results are undeniable. Now, to conclude the pod, we're going to look at some of the numbers. You know this this moment, so you know it's a numbers thing. Um, so let's first look at um, the funding. So, if we look at how much the six countries I mentioned spend as a proportion of GDP as a, as a nation, here are the rankings, and this is according to Statista as of, tw- as of 2018. So out of the six countries I mentioned, the United States is by far and away the most. Almost 17, 16.9% of gross domestic products spending. Number two is Germany, 11.2. Number three is France, 11.2. Number four is Canada, 10.7. Number five is the UK, 9.8. And number six is Australia, 9.3. Some of the countries ahead of the UK, since that's where we live, Switzerland, Sweden, Japan, Denmark, Belgium, Australia, Norway, Holland. So that's about nine countries that spend more as a percentage of gross domestic products on their healthcare than the United Kingdom. Now, if you look at per capita, and I got this from the OECD, they've got like a really cool table, very, very interactive 2018 on, as of 2018. In terms of like how much per person we're spending on the healthcare, again, number one's US by a distance, $10,586. This is all in dollars, by the way. Australia's number two, 7170 Canada's number three, 6448 Germany's number four, 4593 France is number five, 3929. And UK's at the bottom, 3121. And there's 25 more countries in the... So there's, in total, there's 25 countries that spend more per capita than the United Kingdom on healthcare. Bear in mind, there's not 25 more prosperous countries or prosperous economies than the UK. So that shows that we're spending per capita relatively low. And this is because of the way we're doing it. We have, we have, a, we have a, a system where we're spending it via taxation. And this tax burden is levied on about 40-something percent of the population. Obviously, simply because the the poorer people at the bottom of of the income scale don't pay as much tax, they just don't earn enough. So really and truly, if you look at it from a tax perspective, we're being propped up by the people that earn bare peas. And the middle class, so the people that earn a decent amount, decent standard of living, are the ones who are really benefiting from the NHS because not only are they not paying what they should potentially be paying for a healthcare service they also know the tricks of the trade that my boy was telling me and other nurses and doctors telling me they know how if they want to get a treatment they know what hoops to go through how to maneuver the system to get to where they want as quickly as possible somebody who at the poor end of the spectrum doesn't know that and they'll probably be more subjected to the waiting times. So you're getting people who know how to finesse cosmetic surgery throughout the NHS. Obviously, these are rare cases, but it's just just a pitfall in the system. And the issue is, to adjust the funding of the NHS, you have to do it via tax. And if you're increasing tax, if we all, we should, this number's listeners, it's 145th episode, you should know by now, Incentive drives behavior, and the amount of times I spoke about tax, rich people, the more you tax them, the smarter they are, they're going to avoid it, and, they're gonna, and you're going to get a lesser overall tax income because the people at the top are going to dodge it. So that means for you to make up significant 
um, gains in, in terms of tax receipts, you're going to have to significantly tax the middle class. So I'm talking 60, 70% wild taxation. Because obviously the people at the bottom, you can't tax them anymore. Some of them don't even pay enough tax as it is. And people at the top, you should try, but they'll run. So that, be- that burden is going to be on the middle class. And obviously those people will not stand for it because they don't earn enough to be taxed at that, at that um, levy. They just don't. And that's why the NHS will always be in a chronicle state of underfundment. Don't get twisted. Different governments will probably put more into, like, Theresa May and Gaither Cameron's um, gov- conservative government definitely underfunded NHS. And if it was, I don't know, maybe a Miliband or Corbyn government, it will be funded more. But not to the levels that it's required. And for your information, people who went to my live show or listened to my election podcast, I looked at all the numbers and all the what's it called the policies all three major parties so that's Boris Johnson I forgot the young lady's name who's the Lib Dem leader and what's what's my man's name Don Don Corbyn their spending for the NHS plans were almost exactly identical so it makes no difference that's the issue so you're going to have to generate some money from co-pays and also private sector. You're going to have to. Listen to all the different countries that I've mentioned and how they're getting 80% from co-pays or the private sector are contributing this amount. We're spending similar amounts publicly and getting away less products. And it's not going to get any better. And let's talk about quality. So uh, CNBC had this um, sick survey and I'm looking at the numbers, yeah? And it looked at some of the countries I've mentioned, so we've got Canada on here, you've got UK on here, Australia on here, France, Germany, USA. In fact, it's got all, all my countries on here. So this is this is from the Commonwealth Fund, yeah, 2017. Waited four months or more for elective surgery. So Canada had the worst. So more than about 18% of Canadians had to wait, 18% said they had to wait more than four months. Um, who had the second worst? The UK, of course, about 13%. Then there was Australia, about just over 8%. Then the United States. Then France was very low, about 2%. And Germany, 0%. 0% of Germans that responded to the survey had to wait four months more for a surgery. Remember what I said about Germany? You could literally see somebody the next day, at worst. And now let's, let's look at experience access barrier to cost within the past year. So people within the past year who've could, who wanted some form of healthcare but couldn't access it due to costs. Of course, United States absolutely permanent, almost thirty-six percent. The second worst was France, almost eighteen percent. Then Australia. Then Australia. Sorry, no. So sorry. After France, Canada. Then Australia. The UK was the second least, and then Germany was actually the least, 7%, as I mentioned earlier. UK and Germany, about 7%. So Germany is the best at getting people actual treatment, and also, there's no barriers. So it kind of shows that we really need to look at our system and why we still do it. As I said, I've talked to you about the numbers, I've spoken about the quality, we're talking about we're one of the lowest out of the comparative nations in terms of hospital beds, one of the lowest in terms of um, quality, in terms of being seen to, how long it takes to be seen to, waiting times, all that type of stuff. It's crazy. So yes, 
people, let me know what you think. I know it's a very long podcast. Take your time. Might take you several listens. Please share this around. And please, I'm willing to debate this thing. I don't know why people take talk about NHS. It's like it's a political football, and I know it. And it's bare propaganda. Stay calm. We can discuss as adults. People are like, oh my God, I can't believe you say this. And I'm like, okay, cool, why? Let's talk about it. Like, oh, I don't really want to talk about it. Then why are you being shady? Stop being a little cow. Like, we could talk about this as adults because at the end of the day, I'm sure we all want the same things. We want the best healthcare service possible and we want to pay the least money possible. I ain't trying to pay as much. Why, why, why would I want to pay more money? Why? Nobody does, really and truly. So we all want the best healthcare service. We most of us should want our healthcare professionals to be in the best conditions and get paid paid very very well. But the difference is, we don't all take the time out to look at the different systems and how they work and the quality in comparison. So yeah, let me know what you think. I hope you enjoyed this. Listen, please stay safe. Don't forget, last few digits of podcast with me, my G Nigo True, and Bola Soul that airs every Thursday. So make sure you check that out. And some other podcasts I'd like to shout out. Making Sense Podcasts. Uh, Free Shots of Tequila, of course. Touchdown Frackers. That should drop pretty much every day. You've got the Club Podcast. So Main Night comes out on a Monday. Uh, the Main Night comes out on a Tuesday. Um, I think it's Arsenal, uh, Liverpool next on a Wednesday. Arsenal on a Thursday. Chelsea on a Friday. And obviously the Main Pod on a Monday. So make sure you check the man and man. Obviously meet us after seven with Just Gina and Big Man Just another great podcast. Ads Advice. Sick podcast. There's so many, I'm probably missing a few. Uh, my G, Monica Lee, she has a podcast, that's great. So yeah, check out all these great podcasts in this corona time. And until next time, peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.